Hey everybody, it's John. Yan and I were talking, we thought it was appropriate to put out um, sort of a, a tribute or a discussion podcast around the death of George Michael. Obviously, as everyone knows, he passed away on Christmas Day at the age of 53 because of heart failure. So sad. So many deaths, my goodness. We could have done a tribute podcast every other day, pretty much. It just wasn't feasible to touch on every single person, although I would have liked to. But George Michael felt like a big enough, bright enough star that it was worth discussing his legacy. You know, his career, when people die, obviously, their careers, they you start becoming retrospective about it. How, how do they fit in? Do they matter? Why do they matter? What's the, what's the legacy? What did they leave behind? And since Steve Spears of Stuck in the 80s, the Stuck in the 80s podcast, he and I had such a, what I thought was a really worthwhile conversation when Prince passed away, that I thought it would be interesting to bring him back and have us kind of dissect George and what he meant and what he did and what may have been going on behind the scenes. So I hope you appreciate this conversation. It's really just two guys who love music and especially music from the 80s, kind of dissecting an artist that we, that we feel like we grew up with and kind of figuring out what it means. To kick it off, just as we did with Prince, wanted to play Steve's favorite George Michael song, which is Praying for Time. He kind of stole that one. That's one of my favorite songs as well. And we're going to close it out with what's probably my favorite George Michael song. It's Hard Day off of the Faith album, which is ironically just about the only song on that album that I don't think was released as a single. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steve Spears and I about the death and legacy of George Michael. You may gain a reputation, at least for my listeners, as being sort of the Grim Reaper or Dr. Death or something like that, because when they should know that whenever, if an 80s icon is dying, then you and I are going to get on and we're going to talk about dissecting the legacy of that person. And um, so maybe, as much as I love having you on and having people hear you, it usually means something bad has happened. So I'm curious, let's kick it off. I mean, were you a George Michael fan? You know, it's yeah, yes, but but it came to me later. Me too. I rem I remember um, when Wham first started, and I think my, I think everyone's first memory of Wham, at least in the United States, was seeing "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" on MTV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hated that song. I mean, I oh really? I, was, <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I thought the the video was atrocious. I. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it, um, and I thought, oh, here's a band I'll never have to hear from again because they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think at that time I had known that they'd already kind of broken pretty big in England. But obviously, when they, as 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 time went on, and they came out with other songs like, uh, you know, Last Christmas and um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Your Man, and uh, and then of course like you know, Careless Whisper. I mean, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Whisper got me more dances with women than probably any song on earth. So. <laughs> oh, that's um, great! Yeah, so I'm, I had to, yeah. yeah, I had a similar thing. I came to him much later. Um, I I actually am the reverse. I loved "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go," even though I'm sure I know that's the dumbest song ever, but I loved it. And um, I remember getting. I ordered their album "Make It Big." I think I ordered it from Columbia House, maybe. Or I got it for Christmas or something. And I remember so distinctly, once I had that album in my possession, feeling very strange. Like, this isn't probably for me. I think this is for girls. <laughs> and I felt really wimpy actually owning the... And, and, you know, I was thinking, I don't think I ever even listened to it. Because it felt so, mm, so, so <laughs> like, foreign in my record collection. You know what I mean? Like, this right, isn't right. meant for me. I don't think I'm supposed to own this. And that carried on, even though I liked the songs, the Wham songs, especially when they came on the radio, it was a little bit like this was just, this is for a different audience. And so when Faith came out, I still pretty much felt that way, you know? It kind of, I mean, he was such a sex symbol that it just, you know, a young guy who's like a kid and he's into girls and he's into baseball and he's into rock and roll. It just was the antithesis of what I was kind of focusing on at the time, even though some of those songs were good. Did you own faith when it came out? I I can say with total certainty that I have never owned a George Michael or a Wham album. And I feel (laughs) really horrible about that. Really? Uh, I do. I, when faith came out, I, I remember that distinctly. I had a band at that time, and we mm-hmm. called ourselves kind of goof. We were kind of like goof rock. I mean, we we would play funny rock and roll songs, and we were kind of out there to get a laugh, kind of like um, oh, young fresh fellows would be okay. considered to be goof rock. Um, uh huh. So I remember we used to in the summer of '87 was like our big year of doing all these parties, shows at parties, and somebody would always call out for us to play faith and I just mm-hmm. our guitar player would just tease him he would like he'd play the first you know few notes everybody mm-hmm. would squeal with delight and then we'd be like no we're not playing that we never even practiced mm-hmm. I don't even I, I couldn't have played it if I wanted to and um no way 
But it, but but and I think that was the first time that I realized that. I, I mean, I guess I realized it with Carol Swift, but but that's when I you sort of knew. Oh my God, this mm-hmm. guy's got some talent. And yeah, yeah. I really loved him pretty much ever since then. I mean, I always drew. I, mm-hmm. I, the sad thing is when you do podcasts, you know, like you and I do, you have like these mm-hmm. bucket lists of people yeah. you want to interview and. So many of my bucket list people have died over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but George Michael was always on my list. I, I always realized that was probably a, that really was probably like unobtainable. You know, he's never uh-huh. been the kind of guy who does the press circuit. You know, uh-huh. and rightfully so because he's had a a personal he had a personal life that was really complicated and he yeah. made some mistakes. You know, and yeah, I'm sure the last thing he wanted to do was be asked about his mistakes over and over again. Right, right. But man, did I ever Uh, want to interview him. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because on my bucket list for, for the purposes of the pod, of my podcast, which is like, how do you maintain a career and pay your bills? Andrew Ridgely is near the top of my bucket list. And I've actually tried to contact him because I think that story is more interesting, you know, to me, to me personally, you're, you're a peripheral member. Uh, are are you really contributing that much in Wham? And then Wham <laughs> ends, and you're band member. And if he, I mean, you know, as if Andrew originally is listening. I just want to know how do you feel about all this stuff, Andrew? And what did you do with the rest of your life? I know he married one of the Bananarama girls, yeah. And I think they're still off married somewhere. But that's more interesting to me. What is Andrew doing to pay his bills I, today? I you know think, what I mean. Well, I know he. I know he got into race car driving, but I don't know if he yeah. got into it professionally or if it was just a hobby. You, you know what uh, I, I always thought was uh, funny was that, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Music and Lyrics that has Hugh Grant in it. I did, yes. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's basically it's basically aping the whole uh-huh. uh, George Michael split <laughs> You're from right. Wham. It's I forgot about hilarious, that. It's <laughs> a hilarious yeah. movie. And um, yeah. when I was interviewing Martin Fry from ABC... Um, back in 2008 or nine, that was right after that movie came out. And I remember asking him about, he coached Hugh Grant on that movie. On how oh, to act that's like right. Pop star. I remember that now. Yeah. I remember listening yeah. to that interview. Yeah. 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 That was one of the first interviews I ever did that I really liked. He's you know, when I really guy. became a monster fan of George Michael, there was a TV show Oh, it's probably about ten or twelve years ago now. Called Eli Stone. Did you ever see it? Oh, sure. I think I saw one or two episodes. Yeah. So the whole premise was, I think it was Johnny Miller who was mm-hmm. plays in it, who was who was uh, zero cool in the movie Hackers, which yeah. I didn't realize until much later. But yeah. Johnny Miller plays a um, an American former attorney. husband of uh, Angelina Jolie, by the way. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, sorry. Talk about great interviews. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? But, uh, <laughs> so the whole the whole idea of Eli Stone is that he's an attorney, I believe, who uh-huh. starts hearing George Michael songs. Visions, yeah, visions. I forgot yeah. about this. Yeah, every episode, I think almost every episode, George Michael appears on the show. That's you know, right. I forgot about that. And yeah. that that's when I fell in love with George Michael because I'm like anybody. It's, who can yeah. like has a sense of Laughing. humor about himself yes. like that? And man, I watched every episode of that show. I, I wish it was on. 
I wish it was on like Hulu mm-hmm. or something. I would rewatch it from yeah. But that's that's when I got hooked on him, and then um, then I started listening to all his uh, solo stuff, and he, he was brilliant, you know. And yeah, it is. I had one chance to see him in Tampa. He was coming around on some solo tour, but it was it was some weekend when I was out of town on some at some mm-hmm. 80s trip, you know, and I, mm-hmm. that was my mm-hmm. one shot to see him. I didn't see him, and uh, man, crushed. Yeah, I've never even been close. I uh, I didn't fully. When I became a George Michael fan was with uh, Listen Without Prejudice, actually. Because, I, to, in truth, I've, I've never liked the song Faith. There's a couple of songs on that album. I love Father Figure. I really like yeah. Monkey. But most, and most of the, now, I, put, I have that album now, and I love it. I mean, start to finish, it's a home run every, all the way through. But yeah. at the time, again, it still was just not really my style. But um, Listen Without Prejudice, especially that first song, praying for time was so beautiful and different that that was really kind of capturing me. And so I, that's when I got hooked and that his second, well, is it the second? Yeah, I guess it is. Listen without prejudice is still one of my favorite albums ever, but that's, then that's also where it ends. And that's what I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about too. Do you think, I mean, George Michael was big to us because he, his biggest moment was when, you know, we were in our kind of impressionable years, but I wonder if he has much of a legacy, honestly, because if you do the math, it's one giant album. It's a very big, popular teeny bopper band, basically, with Wham. And most of their stuff, I mean, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and Careless Whisper are sort of as great as a lot. And no one plays anything else anymore. No one hears I'm Your Man or Club Tropicana anymore. They just hear those. And they're basically memes at this point. You know, they're kind of jokes. They aren't real songs. So but, he did like one big thing and then disappeared uh, voluntarily, you know. He built up this amazing image and then yeah. destroyed the image. And basically well, every all the music he's done since then has been this really like slow, kind of lugubrious Jesus to a child or whatever the name of that song is. Very yeah, yeah. different heavy stuff or covers, you know. He did love his covers. Um i tell you that his greatest single moment, well, yeah, I'm going to say this is his greatest single moment. Oh, big. Okay, good. Um, at the Freddie Mercury Concert for Life. Yeah. Um, back I in, I think it was 91, yep. um, when he took the stage and sang with the members of Queen after the death of yep. Freddie Mercury.
she's obviously probably the only person on earth that I've ever heard who can adequately stand in for Freddie Mercury. But when yeah. they sing uh, somebody, someone in love, that's just to me one of the most magical. I can watch. Yeah. I can listen to that every day. I can watch the video every day. Yeah. Um, see the look on the faces of the other members of Queen as they're watching him sing, and it's just this. Yeah. Real, you know, uh, expression of content and happiness, and you know, um, mm-hmm. it's great, great moment. And then of course the. The duet, the live duet with Elton John for uh, yeah. the Sun Come Down on Me, which yeah, those that, are that the benchmarks, me. I think. Right, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. What, I think, um, I mean, from what we've read, he struggled with fame. He struggled with yeah. dealing with it, and um, it caused him a certain amount of demons. And uh, yeah, he, when he needed to retreat, he retreated. I wish he had a way out of it. I wish there was an yeah. apparatus in place to help someone like him and yeah apparently there wasn't I uh I think it's funny or not funny I think it's interesting that fame ultimately did him in when he struck me as somebody who wanted it really badly and and I don't mean to say that in a shallow way he had the talent obviously to attain it you know he was an artist and he could sing and he wrote great music and he wanted kind of acceptance on those terms. And then when he got it, he retreated. And so it, it just seemed to me, it was like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he had a uh, really turbulent life for basically the last 30 years, did like a lot of other people, Elvis or Whitney Houston or Michael Jackson. Does the level of fame that comes with that kind of success warp you so badly that you can never really come back from it? I mean, it seems almost like it is. Not everyone can be Bono, you know, and seem really well-adjusted, even to this day, despite tons of success. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's one one reason why I'm personally glad my podcast will never make me that famous. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, you don't think you have the stomach for it, huh? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I think about that sometimes, because I've, I've yeah. worked with other people over the years, with my podcast, you know, previous co-hosts and stuff, and they were much more comfortable assuming the public place that they, that kind of comes with, you know, putting your face out there. And mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. happy to go do radio and go do television and uh, yeah. stuff like that. It's never something I've enjoyed. Um, really? Ra- radio is okay. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I've interviewed like I've had radio stations interview me. I don't mind that, but I don't think uh, the world doesn't need to see me on TV anytime soon. <laughs> but, I, but, but when you're then and then when you're someone, but when you're someone like George Michael, who incredibly talented, incredibly mm-hmm. good looking, mm-hmm. but but also made this transition from being a sex symbol for teenage girls to being an adult gay man, I can't imagine what kind of pressures that created. Yeah. For him, you know, and then you have the access to drugs, the almost the expectation that if you are a, a, a celebrity that you do drugs. I mean, certainly not something that's available to everybody. I yeah. never touched them myself, but it's, I, I, I don't, I, I was still, though, just horrifically devastated when yeah. I heard the news on Christmas. And to die on Christmas, oh, gosh. And yeah. then, you know, from, from someone who sang a song called Last Christmas. I know. 
I know. Isn't that tragic? Um, yeah, 53 years old. He's only four years older than me. Um, and, That's um, nuts. So, don't think... That <laughs> do you think we'll... Um, <laughs> do you think... Yeah. Do you think we'll find anything out more about the cause, the literal cause of death? I mean, they said... All, all the press releases were all, you know, he died peacefully of heart failure. And that may be true. My My suspicion, though, is that years of hard living brought about that heart, that heart failure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, I think, well, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on what sort of autopsy they're doing. Like, I guess the laws are different in every country as far as, you know, what autopsy has to be done versus, you know, preliminary ones. And if the police, like, I, I, it's my understanding, if the police feel that there's, there's no suspicion behind the death, mm-hmm. then there's really no need to go, you know, all, uh, you know, CSI on the matter. Yeah, yeah. And so, I guess so. Say, but I would imagine that the way he lived his life would lend itself to, you know, heart failure is probably the most likely. Yeah, probably. So I do. Yeah. You know, with Michael Jackson, I think it was a little different because of all the wackiness that surrounded it. But true. With George Michael, yeah. I don't know. They might just sort of say, you know, well. Yeah. Or maybe it'll come back, or maybe some toxicology reports will come back, and they'll say, you know, we found this in his system. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know either. So, what do you tell a teenager today about why it's a big deal that George Michael died? What do you, some fifteen-year-old kid that's you know listening to something completely different and sees this? Yeah. And you try to explain to him why it matters. What do you What do you tell him? Well, in a matter? lot of ways, yeah. In a lot of ways, George Michael is a symbol of the '80s. His band Wham was the prototypical English pop band of the '80s. That video is like an M- is like you know it's an iconic MTV video. Mm-hmm. He sang in Live Aid, you know, mm-hmm. one of the probably the most important pop cultural moments of the decade. In the middle of all that, he leaves and achieves even greater success as a soloist. Um, mm-hmm. He is, you know, if you line up, if you did a collage of the decade, uh, you know, symbols and faces and stuff, yeah. George Michael is one of them, you know. Yeah, that's true. And, that's true. And But he also should become a cautionary tale to some degree mm-hmm. yeah. of, the da- of the dangers of fame, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the importance of knowing who you are and being able to deal with it, you know. And if nothing else, you you sit your teenager down and you put on YouTube and you queue up the videos and you show them yeah. what a musical genius looks like because we don't have too many of them around anymore. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I um, I can't help but think there's a lot of untapped potential there, you know. I think... Uh, he could have done more and probably should have done more, and either he lost his drive when he became as famous as he was, or maybe coming out and not carrying the burden of that anymore. You know, When you're relieved of, this, of the things that drive you, like uh, wanting to be fame and wanting to stay in the closet, and those things, um, you achieve those things, then what, maybe nothing is left driving you after that. Unless it's yeah. just artistic merit or it's 
I have songs within me that I have to get out. And he just clearly wasn't that prolific, I guess. And it's a shame because I think, you know, the world missed out on what could have been a lot more interesting music, hopefully. I mean, the last, the music he was putting out was unfortunately not that interesting. But I, you wonder if he had his ducks in a row and was less conflicted, uh, less inner turmoil going on, that maybe there could have been something more interesting coming out of all that. I don't know. But, I would um, have liked to have seen him. I would have liked to have seen him for another ten years. I would have liked to have seen what he could. Have, oh yeah. If, if his life, if he, if he finally like silenced his demons, and I'd like to see what, what his, what his act two would have been. You know, when his final. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, very true. Wanted, you know? Yeah. I will read one little bit here that's not really even tied to you, but I wanted to throw it in as a tidbit of information. I'm, do you remember the '80s group Voice of the Beehive? Um, I don't think so. Okay. They were kind of an alternative led by two sisters. They were American, but they went to London and came out. Anyway, I'm friends with the former guitarist on Facebook, and he posted a a story the day after George Michael died that was really interesting. When when Voice of the Beehive were in England uh, recording their first album, George Michael was in the next studio recording Faith. And uh, they were all kind of staying in the, it was this studio that was out in the middle of, of, a, of like a pig farm out in the forest of England, like out in the middle of the wilderness, basically. So they were staying in these kind of homes out there. And um, it's really interesting. I, they, Voice of the Beehive, were working on this song called Trust Me that had a very Bo Diddley uh, guitar riff in it. And later on... Um, Faith comes out with almost an identical guitar riff and left behind a sheet of paper with the lyrics to Faith written on it that some other member of Voice of the Beehive took with him. Anyway, interesting little bit of historical, a little wow. tidbit of history there. But, uh, you know, artists, you hear stuff like that a lot. Uh, artists kind of borrowing from each other, being in the next studio and putting out sure. songs that kind of sound similar, you know what I mean? Do you have a favorite George Michael or Wham song that you would play on repeat? Uh, well, nowadays it's praying for time. Um, yeah. When I heard about him dying, the first thought was, I need to get the, the gang together, and we need to record a podcast. And mm-hmm. um, it was Christmas Day, and 
all my co-hosts were, they're all married and have families. And um, Mm -hmm. they were scattered all over the place. None of them were available. So I came home the next day, uh, day after Christmas, and I sat down and decided to record a, to, to, to build a podcast. Yeah, no, com- I, no, no I commentary it. for no commentary for me. The mm-hmm. first podcast I've done in twelve years that doesn't have a any voice on it. I put together the songs that I wanted to have be on there, and some are obvious, some are not. And I wanted a song to end the show with that kind of struck the right tone. I had heard praying for time, but it had been a long time, and yeah. um, I found the found the live version of it. And oh my gosh, I played that really three or four times before I even decided what piece of it to use for the show. And uh-huh. I think I even took some of the lyrics and put them on my Facebook page. And mm-hmm. oh man, I mean, you talk about it's funny how sometimes after someone's death, you find a, a verse or two, a few lines and, yeah. of a song, and it it seems to sum up the moment Uh, and nothing ever did that as well for me as um, the ending of praying for time. And so that's the song that I still probably listen to once a day now. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It makes me sad. Yeah. It's a favorite of mine too. Good one. You know, it's interesting. I was just realizing whenever somebody famous died, I thought, Oh, I wonder if Steve and I could do another podcast on this. And then I thought, well, I don't want to overdo it or anything, but somebody <laughs> famous died like every other day. And then I thought, yeah. well, how many tribute podcasts can you do, you know? So it felt yeah. like when George Michael finally passed, you know, passed away, I thought this, I think, merits some discussion, if nothing else, about, like I said, kind of contextualizing his legacy and what he means. So yeah. anyway, thank you for doing this with me. Who knows when we'll have you on again. Next time an 80s icon dies, <laughs> you're my go-to guy. It better be a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I right. Can't deal with another, I can't deal with another 2016, to be honest. Oh, man. It was so rough. Never mind the little ones. Like, I'm a huge Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. And so, I mean, Maurice White's been sick for so long, but just knowing that that's come to an end, you know? Yeah. So many things ended for good, you know? Yeah, my, anytime I think about something ending, I'm. <clears throat> I'm reminded of the horribly cliche movie Cocktail from the 80s. <laughs> and the line, the line from Tom Cruise where he says, everything ends badly, otherwise they wouldn't end. That's true. And yeah. that kind of gives it gives me a half a chuckle and a little bit of yeah. uh, feeling. Very true. Very true. Well, good. Well, thanks for doing this with me, Steve. I appreciate sure. it. Sure. Do your best. <laughs> 